Hey, Brian here with Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard is located in the heart of New Orleans on Canal Street. We worship on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock and would love to have you anytime that you can make it. If you want to learn a little bit more about us, check us out on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard, Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard, and online, midcityvineyard.org. The last couple of weeks, we've been in a series entitled Living Into Freedom. This past week, we entitled uh, this part two, Self-Acceptance, and we looked in the Gospels at the lives of Judas, the disciple that betrayed Jesus, and Peter, the disciple that denied Jesus. And we did a little compare and contrast on how these guys did or did not live into the love and the acceptance that Christ has for all people. Also, at the beginning of this particular week, uh, our friend Mary gave a little update on some things going on in her life and just how she has been finding herself cooperating with the grace of God in her life. So we'll start with her, and then we'll move into the teaching. Much peace to you. Um, my name is Mary. Um, I've been in the vineyard community for a while. I used to go to Kenner Vineyard and then um, transferred to this one. Um, I'm originally from Michigan, and I moved down here. This is relevant. <laughs> I moved down, I moved down here in 2007 to work. Um, I work for Dow Chemical in St. Charles Parish. It's a chemical plant. I'm an engineer. Um, I've been there for, I guess, about eight years or so. Anywho, um, but the backdrop to that story is that uh, the engineer role, like we, we rotate jobs internally every two to four years, just depends. And so um, I have been in my current role for about four years. I've done a variety of, of different um, projects and stuff. And so I was re I'm ready, I am ready to make a move. And um, I started looking for jobs. We have a, like an internal job placement system and I started looking around and I didn't really see anything that I liked. And I had a lot of restrictions. Like I wanted to stay at that current plant. I wanted to um, really stay in my same department if possible. And um, I just had like this box that was very tight. And so I didn't see anything in my box. So I started opening up my box and I, um, I have a mentor and he sent me a job that I hadn't seen in our internal system, and it was in Baton Rouge, which is where our, our sister plant is. And I was like, oh, I don't know about Baton Rouge. I live, I live in Kenner, so I live 20 minutes away from where I work, and like, that's, that's the only reason I don't live in the city, really. I love being close, living close to where I go every day. So I started thinking about it, and um, I started asking around and I realized there's there's a lot of people at my plant who come from Baton Rouge so they make that hour 15 minute drive they're like you know if you leave at the right time the traffic's not that bad yada 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 so I'm like okay and um I later learned that one of my friends she had just she lives in New Orleans East she just took a job at Baton Rouge and she's like you know with your car pulled together this could work and I'm like okay this could work so I feel like that that barrier that I had built okay that's moved out the way. And so um, I started talking to uh, my mentor. He's like, you know, talk to other people who've had this job, you know, see if it's something you really want to do. And it turns out my 
my current, my new boss, she had had that job before. There's another girl that I knew who had done that job. And so there are all kinds of connections to people, um, to me and to this role. So I'm like, okay, I'm getting more comfortable with it. This must be a sign. And so, um, you know, I started doing the network corporate thing of planting seeds with different people. And, you know, I felt like God was really leading me um, to apply for this job and ultimately, in my mind, to get the job. And um, so, yeah, I did all of the things you're supposed to do um, as far as networking. I, I applied for the job. Um, I have recently been assigned, like, a mentor from our site. So I had my own personal mentor, but the, our, where I work, they gave me one. He's like, oh, cool, I'll help you prepare. I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Look at God. Like, and, um, you know, this really must be meant to be. So he, he helped me with prep. Um, Y'all know Sean. Sean offered to help me prepare, which is way out of his, uh, <laughs> his, his MO. And so I really thought that was a sign. And so, but... We, um, we, they have the interview guides um, printed up, or not printed up, uh, posted online, so you can do like interview prep basically. So we, we did mock interviews, we went through questions. Um, he helped me come up with responses for all the different questions, and like everything was just flowing. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, this is, this is where I, <laughs> this is meant to be. And, um, the day of the interview, um, I woke up early, which I never do. I was on time, I was early to the interview, which never happens. So never early anywhere. But I was really confident. I was ready. Like I was, you know, I just wanted to do it at this point. And um, I did it, and I nailed it. Like uh, kicked that interview's butt. Like I didn't stumble on anything. They did not catch me slipping at all. And, uh, I just walked out of there very, comp like it all went so well. And um, just, you know, praising God along the way. Thank you, Jesus. Ba preemptively, thank you for this job. <laughs> but, you know, thank you for all the people who are in my corner and, you know, who helped me prepare and just, you know, everything that made this process so, so comfortable. I hadn't done an interview in probably six or seven years, so I was rusty. And it went really well. And, um, Two days ago, I got a voicemail saying that I did not get the job. And I was stung. Stunned and stung. Like a, a bee or a hornet had, had stung me in my, bar, in my arm or my heart. And um, I, I was nervous about even checking the email or voicemail because um, I didn't, I didn't think they would be telling me one way or the other on the voicemail. That's not how we typically do it, but uh, she did. And so it just was very shocking for me in that moment. I wasn't quite ready to hear that. And um, I had to decide how to react and respond and process that. And so I ordered some sushi. That's my comfort food. <laughs> And no, I, um, I, I was able to really draw on last week's message on freedom and what that really means, you know, internally as much as it does externally, you know, in, in our lives and in the world. And 
this, you know, getting that job wasn't, that wasn't necessarily gonna set me free. That, that wasn't gonna, you know, make my life better or, you know, make me a better person or any, enrich my life necessarily anyway. It was just something I wanted. It was a, a sense of achievement for me. And in a way, I guess, thanks to that, that timely message, I was able to kind of disconnect my happiness and my strength and myself and my my sense of pride in myself from from that achievement, from getting that job. And I think the, the three responses you talked about last week were um, rebel or um, resign, and then the, the, the last one was consent. And I was able to really consent with that and just draw on the fact that there were so many people who were supporting me and helping me along the way. And I just thank God for that, that he had, you know, lined all these, these people up to show me love and support and just really enhance the whole, the whole process. And I'll have to go through it again. So I, I need to continue looking internally for a job, but I think I'll go and continue my search just a lot more fulfilled and less dependent on the response like it doesn't matter whether I get this particular job or not I'm you know I'm going to get one and it's going to be the right one for me and there's going to be lots of people supporting me along the way and just internally I've been able to to have peace about that I've been able to um I guess once the shot wore off I was able to just be happy about the whole experience. And the outcome sucked, but that's okay. Um, I will eventually find a job that's right for me. And I know, you know, God, I could just feel his presence with me, you know, the entire way. And it was, it was awesome. And it, it's not something that I've made time, mostly because of work. I haven't made time to like have these kinds of feelings and have these kinds of connections with God and just be able to reflect. I actually like just meditated on this and reflected on it and I was able to process it um, on my own and with some other close people and I'm just, that that's the part that I don't think I've made time to do and it's allowed this to be a much more, I think, healthy experience than it probably would have been. So I wanna, um, just keep practicing freedom and what freedom means for me. And it's not necessarily like getting everything I want or getting anything that I want. You know, I want it to be something that's rooted, 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 just rooted in Christ and my relationship, my relationship there. have anything to say now like that was it so here's what we'll do i i, I have all right so you should be getting an outline here coming your way and as the outlines are coming your way i'm going to uh read our text for this evening and this is from matthew chapter 27 verses 1 through 5 now i'll, I'll prep you on the front end this this tonight's passage is a little bit of a downer so uh that, that way you've, you've been forewarned. But uh, in Matthew chapter 27, this is how Matthew writes this account. He says, 
In the first light of dawn, now all of the high priest and the religious leaders met together, and they put the finishing touches on their plot to kill Jesus. And then they tied Jesus up, and they paraded him over to Pilate, the governor. Now Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him, realized that Jesus was doomed. And so overcome with remorse, he gave back the 30 silver coins to the high priest that he had sold Jesus for. And he said to the high priest, I've sinned and I have betrayed an innocent man. And they said, well, what do we care? That's your problem. And so Judas threw the silver coins into the temple and he left. And then Judas went out from that place and he hung himself. All right, so I told you it was a little bit of a downer. But we're going to go somewhere with this this evening. Because we, we started this, this series last week entitled Living into Freedom. And some of the things that I really want to talk about over the, the next couple of weeks is, is what it looks like to actually be free. Once again, kind of like uh, in line with what Mary was talking about. Like where do we find freedom, like true Christian freedom as we understand it, outside of our environment? Or outside of our circumstances, outside of the externals. How do we actually learn how to live into freedom when it comes to accepting ourselves? When it comes to accepting things that do happen to us? How do we come to, to live into freedom when it comes to comparing ourselves with other people and not being controlled by those kinds of comparisons? And in the gospel narrative... In, in Matthew chapter 26, it's, it's really fascinating. I encourage you to go back and, 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 and look into it this week. But in the gospel narratives in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is sitting with his disciples at the, at the Last Supper as we know it. Uh, the, the last time that they're together before Jesus goes to the cross. And in, in, in succession, Jesus says, he says, as he's talking to his disciples, he says, Now one of you sitting at the table is going to actually... Betray me. One of you sitting at the table is going to leave this table, is going to go and, and make arrangements with the high priest, and you will betray me and hand me over to the religious authorities. And he says to Judas, Judas, you're the one that's going to do this, so what you do, go and do quickly. And then right after that, it says that Judas left the room, and then in this particular account, the very next thing that Jesus says is now I am going to be going to the cross. I'm going to be going and where I'm going, you can't come with me. And Peter says, oh, but wherever you go, Jesus, I, I will go with you. And Jesus says to Peter, no, actually, Peter, here's the thing. In the next 12 hours, you are going to actually deny me. You're going to deny knowing me three times just in the next couple of hours. And Peter says, oh, Jesus, I, I we're... You're my best friend. I, I would not do that. I would not deny you. I'd rather die than deny you. And Jesus says, well, we'll see how it plays out. It's a fascinating thing because right here, boom, you're going to betray me, Judas. And Peter, you are going to deny me. It says that Judas went out then. He goes and he betrays Jesus. And in the passage that we just read, what does Judas do once he betrays Jesus? He is overcome with grief. He is overcome in such a way that he goes back to the high priest and he throws the silver at him. And he says, I don't want your money. I've made an awful mistake. And they say, well, we don't want the money back. 
just, we don't even, it's too bad for you. And so he throws the money back and he goes off and he hangs himself. Now, here's an interesting thing. I, I want you to picture this if you can. You're in the garden. Jesus, you're with Jesus. You're in the garden. Peter is there. Peter is there when Judas comes in with the, uh, with the uh, uh, guards, the, the temple guards. Peter sees Judas. Peter more than likely locks eyes with Judas as Judas walks in. And Judas locks eyes with Peter, and then Judas locks eyes with Jesus. And Judas goes and gives the kiss to Jesus to show the guards who Jesus is. And they arrest Jesus, and they take him away. Peter has witnessed all of this. Would you not think that maybe, at this point, this would be a a thing for Peter to say, maybe... You know, Jesus just, it rang true what Jesus told Judas. I should probably be on high alert here that I would not make the same type of mistake. And yet, within the next couple of hours, as you read through the text, Peter does do exactly what Jesus says he's going to do. A a, a teenage girl says, hey, aren't you one of those guys that hung out with that Jesus guy? And Peter says, oh, no, 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 that wasn't me wasn't me, that was somebody else. You must have the wrong guy. A few minutes later, someone else says, wait, aren't you one of... No, 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 not me. Not me. I, I wouldn't hang out with that guy. I'm not sure who it is the, uh, you, that you think I am, but I'm not him. And Peter goes through a succession of denying Jesus. Only to realize, after he's done it three times, and in the passage in Luke is actually incredibly haunting. It says that Jesus caught Peter's eye after Peter had denied him three times. And it says that Peter was overcome with grief. And that he went out and he went fishing. Judas goes out and hangs himself and Peter goes out and Peter basically retreats back to the one thing he knows. Sushi. Comfort food. (laughs) fishing, whatever it may be, and that's where he heads off to. I often wonder, and and I know, I'm not sure how many teachings you've heard on Judas Iscariot, uh, but I often wonder, what would our societal view of Judas be had he not killed himself? Think about this. How wonderful of a reunion would it have been if you recall the story, now if you're not familiar with the story, here, here's, how, here's how this thing goes. Once Jesus is crucified, killed, and comes back from the dead, the, the, the gospel account says that Jesus then went to the beach days later and found his disciples. And that he had an encounter with Peter on the beach where he said to Peter, listen Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, I do love you. And Jesus says, okay, in essence... All is forgiven. All is good. My love for you, my acceptance of you, nothing has changed. Just keep living into my love and acceptance. I can't help but wonder, had Judas not killed himself, that Judas Iscariot would have been in that meeting. He would have been around that campfire eating those fish with Peter and with Jesus. And Jesus would have said, Judas, how about you? Do you love me? And Judas would have said, yeah, I, I do. I, I, I just, I, I, I can't believe I did that. And I believe that Judas would have said, or Jesus would have said, hey, hey, all's forgiven. 
my affection, my love, everything for you. Nothing has changed. You know, we, we call now because Judas did betray Jesus and because there's no record of this type of encounter after because Judas killed himself. So, you know, now we have this thing in our society. You know, if you betray somebody, what are you? You're a Judas. <laughs> You're a Judas. But I wonder, what if he wouldn't have killed himself? And he would have, he would have um, experienced this redemption, this side of the grave. I believe he experienced it, that side of the grave. But we don't have the record of that. What, what would have happened, though, if he would have experienced this side of the grave? Then what would we, would we call people a Judas? Well, it would have a different context, would it not? Like, oh, Mary, you know, not this Mary, but oh, Mary, she screwed over her boss so bad. Like, she just totally messed over her boss. And then her boss, can you believe it? He forgave her, and he gave her a raise, and he promoted her. It radically changed her whole life. She's such a Judas. Or Frank, you know, he cheated on his wife. And then his wife was like, you know what, Frank, all is forgiven. I love you. I forgive you. Come on back. Let's make this work. And it completely radically changed Frank's whole life. He's such a Judas. That would be a completely different understanding of a Judas, would it not? So earlier in the Gospels, we come across this, this thing where Jesus says, listen, here's what I want you to do. There's, there's a bunch of commandments. Uh, and the Jews had hundreds and hundreds of commandments. But Jesus says, here's the thing. I'm going to boil it down for you. Two commandments. Love God and love other people the way you love yourself. And so in the church, a lot of times, in gatherings like this, we spend a lot of time talking about loving God, and we spend a lot of time talking about loving other people. But I think that we have missed a critical point here. Because we spend very little time talking about loving ourselves. We talk very little about accepting ourselves. And it's interesting because Jesus says, love other people as you love yourself. That to me says that to the degree that you love yourself, that is to the degree at which you are even capable of loving others. To the degree that you accept yourself, that is to the degree which you are capable of accepting others. And as I have shared with you guys over the last couple of years, you know, one of my things, so to speak, is, and one of my greatest struggles is with depression. It just seems that depression like courses through my veins. The ups and the downs. The incredible victories that I experience on a Monday and the just disgusting defeat that I experience on a Tuesday. The, the, the willingness and the ability to conquer the world on Wednesday and the struggle to get out of bed and even see the world on Thursday. I mean, this is just one of these things that uh, has been so difficult for me for so many years. And there are a couple of things that have helped me. Counseling has helped me. Medication has helped me. Spiritual direction has helped me. I have a spiritual director. Uh, learning the rhythms of grace in my life has helped me. But maybe, more than anything else, learning to actually love myself Learning to accept who I am and where I am has helped me. And I want to press into that for just a few minutes tonight. In 2 Corinthians, you guys recall this passage from last week. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, where St. Paul says, now here's the thing. In my life, there's been lots of ups and there have been lots of downs. He says, but there's this one thing right now that really seems to be affecting me. He says, there's this one thing. He calls it uh, a thorn in his flesh. That's, that's what Paul describes it as. But he says, I've got this thing. We don't know what it is. We don't know if it was an addiction. We don't know if it was some type of affliction. Maybe it was depression. Maybe it was anxiety. Maybe it was a relational issue. We don't know what it was. But what we do know is that Paul had an issue. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, And I have begged God to take it away. And then he says, And God responded to me, No, we're not taking that away. But just so you know, my grace is going to be enough for you. My grace is going to be enough for you. Now, psychologists, psychiatrists, pastors, counselors, these people know that if we're really going to experience freedom in our lives, the kind of freedom that I I think that Mary was experiencing through the grace of God this week, That if we're really going to experience freedom in our lives, that freedom must be and will be birthed within. It's not something that we're going to find externally. It's not something like like freedom's not just hanging around out there waiting to just jump on us. Freedom is something that we experience internally through the presence of God. And it begins to work its way out. And the the truest type of freedom in our lives comes from this space inside where we learn to breathe and we learn to experience this grace, this empowering presence of God. So that even when stuff comes against us, whether it's a job promotion that didn't go our way, whether it's an addiction that just continues to kick our in, our rear end, whether it's depression that comes in and goes away and comes in and goes away, these things ultimately do not get the last word. They ultimately do not get to crush us when we begin to press in and understand just like it was true for Paul it's true for us that God's grace can be enough and by grace here's what we mean the empowering presence of God the empowering presence of God in you that enables you to be what God's created you to be and to do what God has created you to do The empowering presence of God that enables us to be and to do all that the Creator has created us to be and to do. Now, we know, because we discussed this last week, but in John 10.10, Jesus says, now listen, here's the thing. My grace, well, Paul says, my grace is enough for you. Jesus says, I've come to give you freedom. I want you to experience freedom. And in Galatians, Paul says, listen, Christ has set us free. And it's, so it's a life of freedom that Christ has come, that we could experience freedom. So take your stand, and then Paul says, don't let anyone put a harness of slavery back on you. Basically, Paul's saying, listen, don't let someone say to you where your freedom comes from. Don't let them say that you have to do this in order to be free, or you have to do this in order to be free, or you have to do this in order to be accepted by God, or you have to do this in order for God to, to smile upon you, or for the divine to shine the divine's light on you. No, he says, there is no slavery here any longer. You are free, and the divine shines the divine's face upon you, gives you peace, fills you with grace. Don't let anyone put um, um, uh, ramifications or, or boundaries or rules on this. And I would suggest to you that that also includes your own self. Don't let anyone else put these things on you, but you 
also do not put these things on you. Understand that freedom is something that Christ desires for you, something that's birthed on the inside, something that moves outward. One author says it like this, the highest and most fruitful form of human freedom is found in beginning to accept, even more so than learning how to dominate situations or others, our circumstances. True freedom is found in learning to accept, even more so than dominating. And so true freedom for us comes from learning how to accept plenty of things, including ourselves, including our own limitedness, including our own weakness, including our own powerlessness to this or to that situation or whatever it is that God throws at us. Now, I know immediately someone, wait, 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 I'm supposed to just lay down and die to my limitedness or my weakness? No. And we'll come, we'll come uh, to that a bit more in just a second. But it is the idea of understanding that you, as a human being, have limits. You, as a human being, are powerless to certain things. You, as a human being, do not have control, though you like to think you do. It's an illusion. And there comes a place where we experience freedom through accepting ourselves. Accepting ourselves and then allowing in that God to act. We allow God, we allow the divine to be the one that acts and moves and ebbs and flows in our life. And here's the thing. Why would we need to become or consent in a way we talked about last week to our limitedness or to our powerlessness or to our weakness? Well, because that's the reality. And here's something that I've learned over the years is that God only operates in reality. We like to think sometimes that God operates in, you know, our dreams or in our visions or, or in our wants or in our desires. But the only place that God is actually present is in reality, in the present moment. That's where God acts. God does not love ideal persons God loves real people. God does not love virtual persons. God does not love the image of yourself that you like to project. God actually loves the real you. Now, sometimes we struggle to love the real us, and we prefer to project an image that is more lovable, even to ourselves, because we can accept ourselves a little better that way. But that's not where God lives. And I want to suggest to you that when we don't live in this reality, when we live in this, this projected or this virtual or this ideal person view, we are actually, we run the risk of shutting off the grace of God and being able to cooperate with God's grace. And I would say to you, this is exactly what happened to Judas. Judas had the same stuff available to him that Peter had. But Judas didn't allow for it. Judas wasn't able to accept, wow, this is kind of like who I am. Whereas I think Peter had this moment where he was like, wow, I thought I was so much better than I am. 
Like, I really, I think, I think Peter really believed when he said to Jesus, no, I would never do that. I would die before I would do that. I think, I don't think that Peter was blowing smoke. I think Peter really believed that about himself. Have you ever believed something about yourself only to do it and then to sit back and say, what was that? Like, I never thought I would do that, or I never thought I would say that, or I never thought I would hurt that person that way, or I never thought I would hurt myself that way, or whatever it might be. I think Peter really believed it. And then he, he denies Jesus, and I think Peter has to go fishing to come to a place of going, wow, I'm, I'm nowhere near where I thought I was. I'm nowhere near the person I thought I was. And I think that would have been devastating and forever devastating had Jesus not found him on the beach. But that's the beauty of it, because Jesus did find him on the beach. And Jesus said, hey, in essence, I knew you were going to deny me. Like, like, I know you thought you were braver than that. I know you thought you were more clever than that. I know you thought you were more loyal than that. I know you thought those things, and I knew you weren't more loyal. I knew you weren't more brave, and I am okay with that. I accept you. Now, will you accept you? Now, let's go back to the objection. Because... To accept myself, does that mean that I just give in to my deficiencies? I give in to my limitedness? I just become passive and I'm just, I become lazy and just let it be? No, I, you guys, if you've been around Mid-City Vineyard for, for more than a week, you know that we're not advocating. I do not advocate a life of just laying down and playing dead. No, we are all about, we are all about being formed in Christ. We are all about cooperating with the Holy Spirit and growing in Christ-likeness. So to accept your limitedness and your weakness and your powerlessness is not to say, oh, that's just how it is and that's just how it'll always be and I'm just, you know, I don't have to do anything or change anything or, or, or whatever. No. We cooperate with God. We move and ebb and flow with God. But we understand that it is God and God's grace in us working through us, that matures us and that forms us and that moves us. And so we accept our limitations, but we don't resign ourselves to mediocrity. We say, Holy Spirit, this is, this, is, this is what it is. This is where I'm a bit stuck. And it turns out that I've been a bit stuck here for the last 22 years. And I think I'm kind of in a place where I'd like to cooperate with your grace at this point. And I'd like, to, I'd like to see what more you have in this area. We desire to change, but we do so without refusing to recognize our limitations. And we accept ourself along the way. There's a man by the name of Jorge Bananos who said, above all, never despise yourself. It's difficult to despise yourself without also offending God in you. Because we are all created in the image of the divine. We are created in the image of the divine. I look at my kids and they look along the way, they look like me. 
They look like my wife. You know, I see, I literally see my image in these kids. So for these children to ever choose to despise themselves, to, to, to practice self-hate, or to, to practice um, saying things to themselves that, that I would never allow any of you to say to my kids. In a, in a way, it, 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 it's a mark against my image in them. And that's the same way that God feels. Listen, why would God would never? We, we are so much harder. We, we say things to ourselves. We treat ourselves in ways that we would never let people treat us. I, I would never let some of my friends say some of the things they say that I say. They could not say to me the things that I say to myself. If, I, if they did, I, you, I, they can't be my friends anymore. It's, you know. And yet we are so, so hard. On ourselves, And I, I really believe that when we despise ourselves in some way, shape, or form, we're despising even the image of the divine that is within us. But when we live under the reality of God's love and God's acceptance, we're set free. We're set free. We don't always have to be the winner. And we live in a society that loves winners. We have a deep sense of release because we don't have to always show ourselves in a favorable light. We don't always have to be on our A game because we learn how to accept ourselves. We learn that we have been loved and truly, deeply accepted by the divine. We understand that we're humans, we're sinners, and we're saints. We're limited, we're weak, we're dependent, we are filled with grace. And we realize, hey, you know what? We can't live up to the ideal image. Anytime you have the ideal image and you try to live up to it apart from the grace of God anyway, you, you can't do it. And since God can't work with, with like outside of reality, then all we have left is, okay, God, I accept this, and now I receive your grace, your empowering presence to move and ebb and flow. And you know what happens when we begin this, this journey, or we continue on this journey, it sends us into a place where we are more effectively able to actually care for other people. It sends us in a place where we're more effectively able to love others, to work for what is good and right and pure and beautiful and generous in the world because we begin to experience what the love for self is so that we can now fulfill more of what Jesus has called us to, to loving other people. So for me, after years of battling with the ups and the downs, the victories, the defeats, the days where I conquer the world and the days where I can't even get out of bed to see the world, I was conversing with my spiritual director. We meet once a month. And I was just, I was just, blah, I was at the end. And I said, why can't I just be like everyone else? <laughs> Why can't I just fly even keel? Why can't I just be steady Eddie? I'm like, what's the deal? And my spiritual director, who, um, when spiritual directors, if you, if you ever have your, uh, an opportunity to, to get a spiritual director, I, I highly encourage you to do so. But spiritual directors, they're not like counselors. They don't, 
They don't say very much. They pretty much just listen. And you ask questions, and they say, I don't know, why do you think? And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> bull crap, man. So he says this one time, he says, you know what? He says, you can't fly steady. You can't be steady, Eddie. You can't just be even keel. And you can't be like everybody else, he says, because that's not who you are, and that's not how you were created. He says, there's something about you, Brian. He says, you feel deeply. You experience life and you experience purpose deeply. And he says, it's probably time for you to come to grips with how you are wired. And instead of trying so hard to get cured, instead of trying so hard to get God to cooperate with what you want, he said, I want to encourage you to begin thinking about cooperating with what God is doing. And learn to live into his freedom and his grace. He says, you should probably get used to the ups and the downs. And start learning the rhythms of grace in your life. So I fired him. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. And you know what? Coming to a place... And, and listen, listen, here, here, here I am on a Saturday night speaking to you, and here's the deal. Today was up here. Don't, don't be deceived in thinking that when I have the days that are down here, that everything's just like, oh, no, they're down here. But there is beauty and value and freedom in learning to live into and cooperating with what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, even in the midst of that, because then you can begin to experience freedom because the externals, the circumstances, are not what determine your life and your freedom. Jesus knows we're weak. Jesus knows we're limited. Jesus knows we don't have it all together. And Jesus comes to the beach, starts a fire, offers us dinner, and says, yeah, I knew that. I'm okay with that. Will you be? Because that's step one in maturing and being formed. If I were going to give you steps two, three, and four, which I will, and this is not scientific. This is uh, out of my head. Throughout the week, how might it look for your life? Well, I would start by that, admitting. Okay, here it is. This is who I am. This is what it is. Admit that. The second thing is begin to treat yourself a little bit more kindly in the middle of your shortcomings. Isn't it funny that I asked my spiritual director, why can't I be like everyone else? And you laughed. And you laughed because in your mind, I am just like everyone else, right? Because in my mind, none of you ever deal with depression. In my mind, none of you ever have ups or downs. Why? Because we're human and we think everyone else, whatever that is. So be kind to yourself. Look to the Holy Spirit and learn to whisper the word grace. I, I, I encourage you this all week. You find yourself in a place and just learn to retreat and whisper, Jesus, grace, I need your grace. And then begin to cooperate with that grace that you are swimming in.